0: How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in unborn children. It may lead to lifelong physical and or neurodevelopmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting to situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD. This is Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. I'm your host and friendly neighbourhood podcaster, Kurt Lewis. The episode you're listening to today is a very special one because I'm not sitting down with just one guest. I'm sitting down with a group of guests for a roundtable interview. I have no doubt you may recognize their voices, if not their faces. I'm joined by my colleagues from overseas. I call them my colleagues because despite being from three different countries, we all have similar goals to spread awareness and knowledge of FASD using the podcast medium. My guests today are the group of the most prolific FASD podcasters you will ever meet. I'm going to do something different. Normally, I'm the one who introduces everyone, but let's start by introducing ourselves individually. Could we please go around the the Zoom table and introduce ourselves, tell the listeners who you are, the name of your podcast series, when you started your podcast, and something interesting about yourself? I'll go first. I'll lead the way in this episode. My name is Kurt Lewis. I host and produce the series Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. I started podcasting on September the 9th, 2019. That was when my first episode came out, and... I recently got engaged, so that's that's something people may not know. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone's clapping. So, if we want to go around the room, the person I see on my screen first is Jeff Noble. Do you want to go
1: first? Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kurt. My name is Jeff Noble. I am the host of the FASD Success Show podcast. I started this, I think my first show was January uh, 2020, right? A few months before uh, the pandemic started. Uh, Something interesting about me is that I am horrible at hockey. Ice hockey, that is, for our international listeners.
0: Awesome, awesome. So the next person... (laughs) Thank you for being on the show, Jeff. The next one I have on my screen is Natalie.
2: Thank you, Kurt. My name is Natalie Becquione. I am the host of FASD Hope here in the United States. We have just launched our 100th episode and we have been podcasting. We started October 1st, 2020. And fun fact about me is I prior to being a homeschool mom prior to uh, being a podcaster i was a music therapist and recreational therapist for 20 years
0: thank you so much natalie and congratulations on 100 episodes that's phenomenal i mean everyone here will know how much work goes into a podcast episode and they know reaching 100 is phenomenal so congratulations to you and Fazdi hope for that milestone thanks kurt all right next up on my screen is robbie do you want to go next robbie
3: Sure. Thank you for having me, Kurt. My name is Robbie Steele. I am from Canada and I am the host of FASD Family Life, a podcast for families by families raising kids with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I launched my podcast in March 2021 and have had a wonderful time getting to know my listeners and many other experts in the field of FASD and particularly my fellow podcasters. So lovely to see you all. Fun fact about Robbie Steele is she has a Five kids. Five kids, four with FASD. The oldest is a biological daughter who's 30 and the youngest is 14. So we are having a great time over here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for coming. Next up I have on my screen is Claire.
4: Hi, thanks so much for having me. My name is Claire Devani-Glynn and I am co-host of a podcast called Spotlight on FASD and that's in the United Kingdom. We were the the first FASD-specific podcast in our country we come from it from an angle of the there's two of us and i'm the lived experience side of things so it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you all we've been going for just over a year now and and we're, we're still in our infancy we're still building things up because we have very very hectic lives a little fun fact a little bit along the lines of robbie as i have got three teenagers all with fasd 14 15 and 16 so that consumes most of my oxygen on a daily basis but I still have plenty of hot air to do the talking so I'm very excited about today thank you for having me
0: thank you Claire thank you for being here I imagine everyone with kids I don't have kids at the moment but yeah don't know how you have the time to do the podcasting the next one on my screen and the last one is Jessica
5: hi Kurt thank you Uh, yeah co-host of Spotlight on FASD alongside Claire I have my baby just here she's eating for, for everybody who can't see us So if you hear her, I do apologize. Yeah, so as Claire said, we started Spotlight on FASD last year. And really, it was because every time Claire and I got together, it was because we just didn't stop talking. And we thought, you know, let's see if anybody else wanted to join this conversation with us or listen in on our chats about FASD. I come at it from an academic side. I don't have the lived experience like many of my colleagues here do. We try to bring both sides of the story to, to what we do. Fun fact... I climbed Kilimanjaro in 2012. That's usually my go-to fun fact. Thank you for coming us, Kurt.
0: Thank you for coming, and that's a good fun fact. Kilimanjaro I have not climbed any mountains apart from Mount Biwa, but Mount Kilimanjaro is definitely 100% higher than Mount Biwa. That leads into my next question. Jessica, how you were talking about how you started your own podcast with Claire. I want to go around the room again. Why did you start your own podcast with with a focus on FASD? My story, I I somewhat volunteered for the role and it just ended up consuming my life and becoming the main part of it, in essence. I had no idea about FASD until I started a FASD podcast and started interviewing people, understanding what is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and how it impacts on society. I had no idea. To me, it was a hidden disability because I didn't see it until I started talking to people and understanding their journey and their, their their plights i'm going to go back in reverse order if that's possible so so jessica did you want to answer that question
5: claire and i got together one day and this was through the pandemic as well so we weren't getting together too often but we had met up at work one day and we just said, oh, you know what would be great? Like, why don't we just start a podcast? Why don't we just start recording these conversations? And I know Claire will have something to add to this as well because her her reasons for starting this podcast were quite different to mine. But you know, I was always shocked by how many people didn't know about FASD, and so instead of having these individual conversations with everybody I came into contact with, and over and over again meeting people and mentioning. FASD and then the being having that response of, oh, what's FASD? Let's put it on the internet and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's really why I got involved. It's the
0: same with Australia, really. FASD isn't that well known. Claire, did you want to answer that uh, last question?
4: To add to what Jessica said, when we would get together for other reasons, we would overrun by hours, whatever we were meant to be doing together, talking about FASD and talking about Strategies that I use, solutions, what research we think should be done, what have we been reading. And really, for both of us, we wanted to have that recorded somewhere because we were realizing we had such lived experience and Jess with a PhD, such a wealth of knowledge. And we would have these fleeting conversations and then run back to our, our lives. And, and we wanted to try and keep a track of it and share it with people. But the main motivator for me was it was such a lonely and soul-destroying journey at times trying to navigate life with my children and navigate services when they did not know what FASD was and the impact that it had I wanted to create a voice that I would have given anything to be able to just listen to when I'm awake in the middle of the night with one or all of them that made me feel like I wasn't alone, I didn't need solutions I I just needed to know that somebody else was living through this as well and that's what I wanted to create, and that's what we've done. So anything that happens from now is just a bonus because I already feel like I've achieved exactly what I what I wanted to with the podcast.
0: Thank you, Claire. That's incredible, to be honest. Uh, I can see Robbie and Natalie both nodding their heads, agreeing with Claire's story. It's, it seems to be a somewhat common thread in essence. Robbie, did you want to go next and answer that question?
3: Certainly. Thank you. Yeah, I very much like Claire. Raising children and youth through adoption, through foster care, you know, you go in with big intentions and and a lot of love and you're going to make a difference in this child's life. And what you soon find out is love is not enough. What you soon find out is you need all that love, but you need a lot of skills and you need a lot of information. And even now, once you've got the skills and the information, you still feel desperately alone, desperately alone. And so I raised my voice into the podcasting sphere in March to be that friend to other caregivers. That friend that I wish, that mentor I wish I would have had 10 years ago in my journey and who just wasn't there. And so I decided I would be that friend to other caregivers and I would share my lived experience and I would contact and find out more resources and share those with people. Because I know in my community of adopted families, if we have not adopted through the child welfare system, we don't know anything about FASD and we don't know anything about any of the resources available. So it's really my desire to speak into that community, the adoption community, the foster community and eventually I'd like to speak into the sobriety community those who are in recovery and parenting I have a huge heart for them and I want to help them too but through that lived experience to say yes it's soul destroying Claire exactly it's soul destroying as I always say the struggle is real but so is success when we know what we're doing.
0: Thank you Robbie yeah you've definitely been sharing a lot of information and I'm sure you're inspiring a lot of other carers and parents with a child or children with FASD. Natalie, did you want to answer that question next?
2: Absolutely. And just like Claire and Robbie, I also started FASD Hope because I felt like Hope needed to be associated with FASD, with FASD. We hear so many statistics, stories, things that are just like Claire and Robbie said that just crush us, you know, as parents of individuals with FASD. So we started our podcast because... There was none. There, there wasn't a continuous podcast in the U.S. specifically about FASD, and we really just wanted to share, like Robbie and Claire said, our journey and to let people know that they weren't alone. This was the podcast I wish I had five years ago, you know. And what we're sharing is is what we wish we had five years ago. We share that we, our parents, with 19 years of lived experience, but 13 of those years we were trying to get answers. And then two of those years, we were trying to actively get answers. And then after that, the past four years, we've been living and learning. But this is all such a journey that is... Long, it's a marathon, you need to prepare for it. And I really just hope that our listeners can take away from our guests, from our conversations, things that they can use on their journey that things that we wish we had years ago. So yeah, we same reasons as Claire and and Robbie. We really just want people to know that they're not alone, no matter where they are on their FASD journey.
0: Thank you, Natalie, for sharing that. I'm honestly in awe of the experience of everyone here. Because I, I don't have that experience, but I talk to people who do. And I honestly think, yeah, it's good to know that you're not alone, that there are other people out there who are going through a similar journey. And that's a very powerful message at the end of the day. So, after hope comes success. Did you want to answer that question next, Jeff?
1: Yeah, for sure. But I'm listening to you guys share your stories of why you started it. It's a family show, so I won't swear, but I'm like, heck yeah, you guys make me want to run through a wall. It's so important to do this. So, A little bit different for myself. I had been a former foster parent. I truly believe that I have siblings on the spectrum. And for the past 10 years, I've made it my mission to teach as many people as possible, because as a foster parent, once I had the right information and the understanding, because I knew absolutely nothing, even in my own Home, we started to have more good days. And I I had a little bit of survivor's guilt uh, because, you know, I got some great education while I was learning at this place called the Child Welfare Institute in in Toronto from the Toronto Children's Aid Society, I just seen so many parents coming in, we were learning how to do case consultations. And I was hearing we're alone, we're isolated, nobody gets it. Uh, The school doesn't get it. Uh, You know, uh, my family doesn't get it on and on. It was the same thing over and over. And here I am having good days with my guy. So since then, I made it a mission, right? And I always wanted to speak about it and uh, was pretty good at it because people kept inviting me and it started to snowball from there and i have just been blessed to have been all over the planet literally to speak to people in different countries continents languages even and hearing stories from parents and caregivers and professionals But also on this rabid hunt for what is the real answers? Like, what do we know? I love science, so I'm heavily motivated by that. And so going to conferences and just having these conversations with some really amazing, bright doctors, social workers, caregivers, and some of the best learning that I've had was in those one-on-one conversations with these folks. So the inspiration for my podcast is, you know what? I'm going to reach back out to these folks that I have built a relationship with now and sort of have this setting where somebody is sitting at a coffee table with us listening uh, while I have these conversations with these people. And uh, so far, like, that's how I learn. And so far from like, you know, the average listeners we have per episode seems to have resonated with other folks. So that's how I started, dude. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, you've
0: definitely gone around the world and just talked to so many people. In terms of interview subjects, I know your podcasts aren't all based around interviews, but everyone's done an interview from time to time. How do you choose your subject for interview, kind of like your interviewees? I know when I'm planning episodes, I choose people or subjects that I find interesting, that I know that my listeners will find of interest and be able to get some knowledge out of, able to learn something new. Going back around the room, Jeff, since you were the last person to speak, did you want to go answer this question first? (laughs)
1: Yeah, sure. The first choosing an interview subject was people that I have built relationships, people doing really good things in the arena of FASD, everything from caregivers to individuals on the spectrum, right? That's why we say FASD success, because the goal is to share so many examples of success that caregivers start to believe it. And that's half the battle, right? Once they start to believe it is possible for them, then it's a start. You're on your way. So when choosing a guest, it was people that are relationships with that I know are like the best at what they did right and sort of from there now we're in a position where we're lucky that people are reaching out to us and so we like to mix it up with a doctor individual caregiver and just like the, it is a spectrum we try to have subjects that cross the whole range of the spectrum and have those personal one-on-one interviews that get through the diplomatic stuff. Like what do you really feel? What Like what do you really know? And just bringing questions in my head that I know my audience asks, that my caregivers ask, right? In my community. So trying to just channel on their behalf. So that's kind of my mindset with it.
0: That's good. Kind of had the same kind of mindset. When I meet someone new and I'm talking to someone, I'm like, that would be a good idea for a podcast or, you know, have a chat with them. That That's what's going through my head. Natalie, do you find the same way?
2: So, with FASD Hope, we have a mission and it's three-pronged and we hope to bring awareness about FASD to people not only in the FASD community, but outside of FASD community. So, we have guests that are not directly related to FASD, but they either want to be or they give us their point of view about it. So, for example, I've had teachers, social workers who never knew about FASD until we talked and then came back and, and said, hey, this is what I did to educate people about FASD. So we have an awareness component. We also really try to focus on resources because I know on our journey, resources were hard to come by and the silver lining of the pandemic is that now all these wonderful resources are more accessible to families, to caregivers, to people. So through our podcast, we hope to share resources and provide not only people's resources, but, you know, just organizations, et cetera. And then finally, I think this is My personal reason is we hope to bring inspiration to people on their journey because so often our journey is very dark and isolated. And I hope to bring guests that can provide either by sharing their faith or just sharing what inspired them to keep going guests that can feed into and just speak life into our listeners who we often get emails saying, I just learned our son or daughter has a diagnosis and I don't know what to do, that kind of thing. So really those three reasons. And then honestly, we've been very blessed that I've had people, just these amazing people reach out and say, hey, I'd like to be on your podcast. It's just, it's fantastic. It's very humbling. So yeah, we have quite a few reasons. Not only inside the FASD community, but we know as this group here, we know that FASD reaches every aspect of life. So trying to have those individuals that want to learn more, that are trying to do more to educate others, having them to also give hope to our families to say, hey, there are others out there slowly but surely that want to bring awareness and want to support FASD. So yeah, it's a variety of reasons, but we're very thankful for all of them.
0: Thank you, Natalie. Your episodes definitely inspire people. They they inspire me at least. Robbie, did you want to go next?
2: Sure. Thank
3: you, Kurt. So FASD Family Life also has a mission or a three-pronged approach, and that is to educate, encourage, and equip. And that's my goal in every episode I do. So whether I'm doing the teaching from that lived experience and the training I have with FASD, that's my goal is first of all to educate parents, caregivers, whoever's listening about what is fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, perhaps what is this primary disability, for instance, abstract reasoning, whatever the issue is. I try to go in-depth in teaching. Then I also give encouragement And I also give equip, I give tools and strategies that will work so that as we increase our understanding and are better able to understand what it is we're looking at and keep control or calm of ourselves, keep ourselves regulated, we're better able to meet the needs of the others. So that's what I do and why I do it. How do I select the episodes? Initially, I had kind of a plan of these are the four or five, 10 topics I wanted to cover. And that brought me to the summer to the spring. And then I started just kind of going with my heart. I live this every day. So I let my heart take me and my heart in the summer took me to let's have lived experience. So I called it my uh, success series. And it was, I interviewed people who have FASD on my podcast and I loved hearing their experiences. And I'm telling you, they gave me so much hope. They gave me so much hope that even while I'm raising teenagers, there's hope for better days and it's going to be a long road, but there's hope for better days. Now, since the fall, I've followed my heart again to say, I'm feeling really burned out. I'm feeling really stressed. Let's focus on caregiver stress. So that's what's inspired me. Now, also, I listen to Natalie Becky. I listen to all these podcasts. Natalie is the one who inspired me. It was Natalie I stumbled across in the spring. I think it was February. And Natalie inspired me. I'm listening to this mama and I'm going, hey, I can do this too. And so I just jumped in with both feet. I didn't have a hot clue what I was doing, but I jumped in. I'm loving it. So that's what my podcast is a little different than everybody else's, which is wonderful. We need different flavors. We need points of reference. So I think it's really, really wonderful. So I follow my heart and I follow my listeners. My listeners email me regularly and message me regularly. And hey, Robbie, what about this? Robbie, what about that? And so that leads me and guides me as to what I'm going to talk about
0: thank you robbie and i completely agree with you we have all have very different styles different approaches when it comes to podcasting and i like that people can definitely source around choose the episodes that will best help them really and we have that library in place and robbie definitely does her best to help parents carers i recently listened to a christmas episode and pertaining to christmas it was very informative and uh, natalie's giving the thumbs up as well so (laughs) claire did you want to cover the that question thanks
4: from a very selfish point of view, and I think along the lines of what Robbie said, as a mother, I go with my gut and my heart. And that's why it works so well with Jess and I together, because Jess is academics and the the science behind a lot of it and I am, um, this is what that actually looks like in a home with three children trying to navigate it so when it comes to choosing who we want to interview because we do a lot of episodes where we are just talking to each other about things we've encountered but we know that if people like it to mix it up a little bit and just to want to listen to our voices all the time so yeah, we started with the, the people who really interested us who and certainly from a, a personal perspective i thought i'm putting the work into this I definitely want to be gaining something from it. So I want to speak to the people who I want to speak to. I want to speak to the people whose brains I want to pick and no, make no bones about it. When I'm asking these questions, I'm asking it. It's going to benefit everybody, but I'm asking them for me and, and talking about these topics for me, which is part of the reason that, that we created the podcast. So I think my reasons probably be very different to Jessica's. I am led constantly by my gut and my heart We've had some amazing people reach out to us, which has been really humbling. And it would well, have shocked us when, you know, because you, you you get into the habit when you're and you sometimes, you can look at your figures and things, but you, it's just your own little world and you're just chattering away. And then you sometimes forget that you're going to get something back from that. So when people reach out to us to say, look, you know, I listened to what you were saying and I really want to, I've got some things to add to it. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. You would probably be able to see what's happening in my life quite often by the the kind of people we are interviewing and because that's probably what's at the forefront of my mind. That's where I come from.
0: Thank you, Claire. If anyone's listening to both Jessica and Claire conduct interviews, they're very much like the dynamic duo in the essence. One involved the carer's perspective, one involved that academic perspective, but they both come together really well and embody their kind of perspectives. Jessica, did you want to answer that question?
5: Thank you for that, Claire. Yeah, I just have a little bit more to add, really. We do have people get in touch with us. We also find that things come up. There'll be something in the news or there'll be something happening in the FASD world in the UK. You know, we're moving very, very quickly at the minute. Things appear and the topics just come to us. And also, with the science, the academic side of things, there'll be like a really interesting paper that's been released or something. And I'll say, Oh, Claire, I met this person a few years ago at a conference, you know, when we could still go to conferences and network Uh, and I'll reach out to them and I'll see if they want to come and join us and, you know, have a chat with us. And really, I'm still seeking that networking relationship that we've lost from these conferences as a result of COVID so as Claire said you know she's asking those questions that she wants to know as a parent as a caregiver but I'm asking the questions that that I want to know as a researcher and coming at it from my perspective. I do feel like the topics they just come to us and then the opportunities to interview as well as they arise we just grab them and make it work and I think it all just falls into place really.
0: Thank you for that, Jessica. It definitely does fall in place, especially for you guys, in terms of always come up very well informed at the end of listening to one of your episodes. Here's a big question for you guys. really amazes me, but between us, we represent countries from around the world, Canada, America, the UK, Australia here. I'm wondering if each of you could share what you think been the most recent significant development in your country in terms of advancing FASD awareness or support. I'm going to choose someone random this time, so just to jazz things up again. Robbie, did you want to answer this one first?
3: That's a big question, Kurt. What is advancing in our country? So what's advancing the work of FASD in our country? There are some really fantastic studies going on in Canada right now, I think that are really advancing the work of FASD and studies regarding, there's a new medical algorithm that's out that's been out for a few years by Dr. Mansfeld-Mila out of the University of Saskatchewan. And he has an algorithm out to help prescribing doctors have a guide as to how to prescribe medication for children and youth and individuals with FASD, because so often we know that individuals with FASD may have unpredictable responses to medications. So Dr. Mila and his research has put that out as a tool, not only for Canadian physicians, but of course her position worldwide I think that's one tremendous need that the world needs and that I see parents asking for all the time is what medication what medication so rather than us as parents going hey try this hey try this much safer to refer to this algorithm put
2: together by Dr. Mila and his team
0: thank you for that Robbie you, you sound very very eager there Natalie did you want to Answer this question next.
2: I literally raised my hand, but I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, good. No, so good. <laughs> easily for the U.S., I would say hands down is the introduction of the FASD Respect Act, HR four one. Oh my goodness, I forgot the numbers. H uh, HR two uh, Senate two two three H R four one five one. I believe. Forgive me. I have had Susan Shepard Carlson and Jennifer Wistall of FASD United on our show three times, talking about updates with the FASD. Act. So it's national legislation that identifies FASD, FASD as a diagnosable developmental disability. And that is huge. That right there, that component of this multifaceted uh, legislation is huge because for so many of our kids, teens, young adults, they don't qualify for services based on just their FASD diagnosis alone. It has to be something else. So this will open many doors for that. And in that legislation is funding for prevention and learning about prevention, research, of course, increasing awareness. And what really holds my heart as the mom of a 19-year-old with an FASD and what makes me happy about this legislation, everything does, but particularly supports especially for children, teens, and for us, young adults. Because I've had this conversation with Claire and with Robbie that for so many of our kids who are diagnosed on the FASD spectrum, we see supports kind of peter out as they become teens and adults. And when they're adults, it's nothing, at least here in the U.S. And I know talking with Claire and Robbie, we've shared similar experiences. So just the introduction of that act, which is on, it's being prepared. Proposed. We hope in spring 2022, it will be signed and passed. Big shout out. She was just on Jeff's show to Jennifer Wisdall. Wonderful episode. She is a force of nature in FASD United. So I would say the FASD Respect Act, the legislation, and how previously no NOFAS has been renovated to FASD United and really increasing awareness in FASD. So those are the two biggest things I think the US, we have to look forward to in terms of increasing awareness and just getting supports and, and getting FASD where it needs to be as far as recognition supports and research and services.
0: Thank you, Nat. Fingers crossed. We in Australia have fingers crossed on the FASD respect that because that could change the ballgame here as well. Sorry, I interrupted you before, Claire. Did you want to go next?
4: Yeah, I'll go next. I think from a, from a more concrete perspective and like a, a more formal avenue, if you like, we've got something called NICE Quality Standards, which are about to be released in England. And NICE is the National Institute for Care Excellence. And it kind of governs our national health service. So the NICE Create guidelines and quality standards that our national health service need to adhere to and up until now there's a nice quality standard for everything from diabetes to arthritis to for anything anyone needs to access the nhs for and there's nothing at all for fasd so the very very first quality standards are being created and i'm part of the panel that has been creating them COVID has delayed things. They should have been here last year. We were hoping for this year that we haven't been told that it's not going to make it, but if not, it'll be early into the new year 2022. They will be released and they are guidelines that our National Health Service has to create services and support around. So that's the first time that that's ever happened. So it's all around diagnostics, support pathways, because there's nothing There is nothing for people now. It's a postcode lottery, whether or not you get a diagnosis at all. And then when you get a diagnosis, there are no real support pathways. That's how everyone in the FESD world, in each individual country, they're all kind of linked because we've had to gravitate towards each other and find each other to to create these services. That's kind of a more government-led, institution-wide change. But... The change that I've seen in the last 12 months is phenomenal. It's it's like a tidal wave and it it just seems to be creeping in everywhere where you would get a shock if you've seen FASD written anywhere, if you've seen it written in the press, if you heard it on a radio interview, you would stop in your tracks. Now, it just seems to be kind of filtering through and people are starting to understand the prevalence and the enormity of it you know, that's just, we can't ignore it any longer. And a lot of people aren't ignoring it. A lot of people are, but a lot of people genuinely just don't know about it. And when they learn about it, then they're all on board. I'll let Jessica, cause I don't want to deal everything that she might be about to say. So I'll stick with that. We'll see what Jess feels.
0: Thank you for that, Claire. I'll go to Jeff next, if
1: that's all right. Yeah, excellent. It sounds super hopeful, right? Listening to everybody and what's going on and you're right about the UK, Claire. I've had the luxury of you know seeing this over now a, a decade and you're right, there's just so much happening out of the UK. Same with Australia. Uh, on one of my podcasts, we had Audrey McFarland, who is the executive director of the Canadian FAS Research Network. And she straight up said that Australia is the leader in the world right now. It's excellent to see, right? How you guys are absolutely running with it. One of the good things, one of the positives that just came out in Canada is one of our provinces, Alberta, just commissioned $5 million for a RAP program because we know our caregivers, we know... In your experience, how uh, school is one of the number one issues and the troubles in school. So the Alberta government pledged $5 million and they've already created a program where it will be what they call elbow to elbow coaching and to have some of the people that I know from Alberta who are just badass when it comes to coaching and training, literally going into the classrooms and teaching the teachers, because that's a big part of it. Teachers were never taught. Doctors were never taught. Professionals were never taught. And so to have this approach, I think is really genuine. There's a lot more to the program. I'm not going to go into it because we're actually going to have the leader, the president of the program, come on my podcast Ooh. and talk about it. Oh, it's a teaser right there, fellas. <laughs> that's that's in the business they call a teaser. But, yeah so that in terms of research that and happening that's pretty positive
0: thank you for that jeff and thank you for that little teaser there and yeah thank you for the great compliment there to australia absolutely it's definitely been ramping up especially in australia for recent years i know that nofazd australia has been involved with quite a few number of projects including like an a guide for early childhood educators on fazd no fazd has been involved in an alcohol labelling campaign
1: with that other organisation far right fair, fair so foundation my
0: apologies. Apologies. yes so yes.
1: And also an excellent report written that was taken to your government. And so the government said yes, and now it started funding applications for it. So yeah, I would say more than trying, you guys are in fact doing, which is great to see, which, which is great for the rest of us in different countries that we have, like they're doing it. Keep going, keep going. It is quite excellent.
0: Well, NOFASD was involved in that particular report, actually. They helped petition the government and made statements kind of like to the effect of FASD in Australia. There's also a big national campaign coming up, which is being led by FAIR that should help spread a lot of awareness. I don't know if you guys will hear it, but uh, it should be big. Moving on next, Jessica, are you able to add your perspective into this matter?
5: Yeah, well, kind of following on from what Claire said, but also in a way following on from what Jeff said about Alberta, we we been an organization that Clara and I both work for, have just launched the UK's first FASD specific education intervention program. So we support children and young people who are chronically disengaged with education. So for whatever reason, they are unable to be educated within the system that we currently have in the UK. And so as a part of that organization, it's been running for five years, supported hundreds of children and young people We have gone in and set up an FASD-specific service that just launched this summer. So hopefully in response to the nice quality standards being launched, we can reach many, many more children and young people. We do work nationally, so I'm really hoping it takes off as soon as I return from my maternity leave. I will be pushing hard for it to, to take off. And yeah, we're going to be supporting, or we we are supporting children and young people who who aren't in formal education. So hopefully we then transition them into a school where they will then receive some sort of training or enter into a program such as that Jeff was talking about. That's a a wider hope for the UK one day, but I feel like we're we're on track. We're going in the right direction.
0: Thank you for that, Jessica. And I I think we're all going in the right direction at the moment. And it's hopeful to see that... You know, one day maybe we won't need to struggle as much well, not me, but carers, people with FASD won't need to struggle as much as they have been in the past. And that that's always been my hope in terms of where we're going with this. So next up, big question, ladies and gentlemen, big question. This is the question I ask all my podcast guests, and you guys won't be the exception to the rule, I promise you. Do you think there's more our listeners could be doing as individuals or we could be doing a whole society. I'm not just talking about Australian society, American society, Canadian society. I'm talking about all us international people all throughout the globe. Is there more we could be doing to support carers and people with FASD? Jeff, do you want to answer this one?
1: Yeah. Well, it depends on what you mean is, is more. I'll put it back on you. Mm-hmm. What is your definition of, of more?
0: Is there extra things we could be doing? Is there more things we could be doing? Is there In like, terms of our in
1: terms of the listeners? In terms,
0: yeah, in listeners there's more efforts kind of thing we could be putting into the thing.
1: <laughs> right. This could get me in trouble, right? This answer, because I I believe that truly caregivers are doing their very best, right? Like they It is so hard. As a former caregiver, it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. I could sit here and talk to you. I could be in front of a thousand people and speak and not really break a sweat. But you ask me to provide respite for Robbie's kids and I'd probably, you know, my blood pressure would go up like it's the way it is. In terms, almost when we say more, why don't we say you could do more by doing less you could do less by less worrying about what others think about you and your parenting style you could do less by not worrying about for example the american thanksgiving is coming up christmas is coming up you could do less by not having to live up to those expectations of what you think your family should be doing what traditions look like you could be uh, doing less by not trying to fill your day with so many appointments and stopping to breathe and stopping to have time for yourself Uh, you could be doing more by doing less that knowing that you are a good parent that you are not crazy and that you are certainly not alone now doing more in terms of reach it's as simple as you don't have to be motivated to like do a podcast it's simply just pressing a share button a tweet that Robbie put out about her show or Natalie or Claire you could be doing more by just even sending a heart emoji on a Facebook post but I almost think like not to turn it on its head a bit but doing less is actually doing more for yourself and for your family because once you do less you'll be more sane and once you have more sanity you're able to do more of these outreach things because i'm sure if you ask everybody here there was big times in their life where doing a podcast would absolutely be a no-go just in terms of surviving right Uh, if that makes sense
0: Thank you, Jeff. Honestly, been asking that question for three years, and that is the most unique, interesting answer that I've ever honestly received.
1: Well, then I'm quitting here. That's it for me. <laughs> Don't ask me anything else. <laughs> all right, I'll quit while I'm ahead. Well, yeah. Thank you, man.
0: Let's uh, go about the room again. Robbie, did you want to answer that question?
3: Yeah, thank you. First of all, Jeff, thanks for that amazing answer. Because your care for caregivers came through right there. We have to do less, not more. And the book we all refer to time and time again is Diane Malvin's book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder. And we all have tried harder, 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 and broken our relationships with our children, and maybe fractured our marriages and worn ourselves out. More is not what we need to do. We need to do better. Work smarter, not harder, right? And so when we take a brain-based approach to this disability, start using disability-informed language, first-person, of course, informed language, then we are able to advocate a little better. But we're also able to let down some of those other expectations, like Jeff mentioned, about, you know what, ours is not going to be the perfect family that we see on sitcoms. Well They don't exist anyway. But we can let down our expectations of, you know what, Thanksgiving is coming up. How do we do this differently? Is it okay if we don't go? Is it okay if after dinner, my 10-year-old is sitting under the table beside the couch, you know, because he just can't handle being around people anymore? What's okay? And is it okay to come late and leave early? Just do what you need to do for your family. And there's been a recent post going around on Facebook that I love. And that is, don't let someone tell you how to tie your laces if they don't walk in your shoes. Nobody walks in my shoes. I have a unique situation and there's millions of other people raising kids with FASD and trauma and drug exposure. And those are also unique situations. So we just follow your heart, stay calm. I think there's one thing that globally we could all do. And that is we could examine our relationship with alcohol. For whatever that means for you, you know, if When you have a glass of wine at the end of the day, when you're stressed, that might be something that's totally innocuous, something totally that you can do that's not going to impact your personal life. But if you're raising children prenatally exposed to drugs and alcohol, what are we role modeling? And are we role modeling that when you're stressed, you numb? I like to numb too, but what am I role modeling? So sometimes the most badass thing we can do is take life on life's terms, not numb ourselves with junk food. I'm also going for the carbs when I'm stressed. So, you know, not numb ourselves on the junk food, the alcohol, the whatever. And societally, I mean, because of our relationship with alcohol as these different societies, you know, we have created this epidemic of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Unwittingly, Of course, unwittingly. So now we can take the opportunity to re-examine how does alcohol serve us in our life? What does it do to our bodies? What does it do to, for women or, or families who are planning to have children? What may it do to, to those babies? I think it's just a question. I have no answer. I only have a question. Could we examine our relationship with alcohol?
0: Thank you for that great answer, Robbie. I definitely completely agree with you that every, every story is unique. Everyone's story is unique in terms of their experiences, And I 100% agree. From a nation that's culturally, uh, we take very much take alcohol for granted. I think we definitely do need to question our relationship with alcohol. Jessica, did you wanna answer this question next?
5: I fully agree with what Robbie said, actually. I said on our podcast before, like FASD, it's caused by alcohol, but I very much believe it's, it's a cultural issue. It's a societal problem and I think in terms of doing more what would be really important is for people to question their own relationships with alcohol but how they support and promote the use of alcohol so something that's very very much on my radio or at the minute and I was driving along in the car earlier and I heard on the radio and they're like oh well you know when you're hungover and you're in the shower and just things like that and it's this constant promotion of drinking culture and binge drinking and being hungover and it's Sending messages that brings alcohol and alcohol use so much further into our everyday lives. And I think that's really, really problematic when we're not supporting that with education for young people around the harms of alcohol use in terms of FASD and everything else.
0: I completely agree. And I, I don't know, you've, you've probably seen the, the post about like wine o'clock, especially during the pandemic. It's somewhat insane. And we do need to question this and question our relationship with alcohol. Natalie, did you want to take that question next?
2: Yes. So everybody who has answered, I would say all of those answers are amazing. And I would encourage everybody to, to, to do that. I will say that there is, we ask a lot from our caregivers and family members. There is one thing I would ask more of, and it's what the six of us are doing right now, is share your story. Share your journey, because there is power in your journey and in your story. Walking along this wonderful, this FASD Respect Act, FASD Respect Act, HR 4151, SB 2238, I have been told that the legislators listen to the family members and the individuals that have FASD more than anybody their stories are the most important you're doing a lot take care cut back yes but please do one thing share your story because your story can reach somebody who can go to somebody else and could make a difference in your country or even in the world so i have learned personally by sharing our story and letting other people share their stories on our podcast that has power so i would ask you to share your story and again When you're ready to share your story, you may not be ready. I wasn't ready for a long time, but when you're ready, your story has power. So that is the one more thing I would ask. And if you are not FASD caregiver or parent or family member or a self-advocate, what I would ask you to do is I would ask you to please just talk to people, start this conversation and think about somebody who has FASD as an individual and think about their strengths first. Let's start talking and changing the conversation instead of being problem based. Let's talk about strengths based and then supporting the problems because how many times, you know, whoever's listening, you go into an IEP meeting or you go into an educational meeting and how many times do they ever start off with, well, your child is really good at X, Y, and Z. No, they always start with the problems first. Let's try to shift it so we can start with the strengths first and the skills first and then support the needs and everything. Our societies, I don't know about you all, but our society, here in the U.S., we're so problem-based and we need to be strengths-based and solutions-based. So that's the one thing I would ask more of for anybody who's outside the FASD community or anyone who wants to support the FASD community.
0: Thank you so much for that answer, Natalie. Honestly, 100% there's so much power in everyone's stories and they should be shared and hopefully we get a chance to share it on each of our podcasts. Claire, did you want to finish off the round by answering this question?
4: It's all about stigma for me. If I could ask anything more of people or for people to start and do something that aren't doing anything now, it's the thing that I struggle most with around FASD is the stigma attached to it. And, you know, I think we can safely say this. There is not a mother in the world who purposefully sets out to consume alcohol to damage a baby's brain it's just not the case and i think as a society we just need to accept that this accident happens people will argue because there are lots of reasons why people may consume alcohol but my belief is that nobody ever does it on purpose you know and if there's a problem there if someone has a disease which means they're consuming alcohol and they're addicted to it you know that's a devastating situation and it's not something that they're choosing to do The amount of professionals I've dealt with where I have talked about my children and their diagnosis, and I can see the look on someone's face like going, oh, okay, right. And then if I have to, at the point at which I might have to drop into the fact that my children are adopted, then, oh, right okay i was gonna say I, I thought you were just like admitting to the fact that that you've done this and that is everything that's wrong for me with the situation because this is something that is here it is we know it's preventable but it's also unavoidable because of the percentage of pregnancies that are unplanned and, and genuinely people don't know that they're pregnant and they're accidental so it is unavoidable so and actually around it how dare anyone have a stigma around it really because If our children were in a catastrophic car accident and sustained a brain injury, society would bend over backwards every day moving forwards to make sure that they were taken care of. There would be instant empathy. There would be tolerance. Nobody would tolerate the fact that they weren't able to access an appropriate education for their brain injury. Who's to decide what is a socially acceptable brain injury and what isn't? because it's just a brain injury. So that, for me, it's all about the stigma and that's what I push all the time. That That's a huge cultural change, but I believe that we've got the power to do it. So that's where it is for me, for doing more.
0: Thank you so much for that answer, Claire. I 100,000% agree with you. Like, it frustrates the hell of me, the stigma there. And I do everything I can to say, because it's, in Australia, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. And it's just constant frustration that people still think it's deliberate and it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't have to explain i people should get it i'm just going to end this podcast by thanking every single person everyone here when envisioning this podcast i originally thought what five people would i want to have dinner with who i admire and look up to and all of you came to the top of my list in termination so this is somewhat of a dream for me on my list and i just want to thank you all and i want to say you are all all of you are blazing a journey podcast journey i just want to make sure please keep blazing away keep doing what you're doing because it's it's amazing
3: likewise kurt thank you for what you're doing in australia raising the voice raising the banner of of fasd in australia and the australian government and the work you're doing is just amazing to like jeff said leading the world right now in fasd research and fasd change so thank you so much
1: thank you robbie yeah thanks for having me yeah appreciate it
2: Thank you, Kurt. And you keep pleasing the way for, like Robbie said, for us to look and, and look forward to the exciting things that Australia will share about FASD that we can learn from.
0: Thank you guys. That mean, honestly means a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality. Please tune in next week for another episode of Our Little Podcast. If you like this podcast episode, then please show your support by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Every little bit helps. All rights reserved. For more information about FASD, then please go to
1: www.nofazd.org.au.